So I heard that uh, I can't get to work. <laughs> I was gonna do a confetti cannon. What am I doing? Oh, I don't know. It looks like it's a dud. <laughs> hey, it's a birthday, right? <laughs> Happy birthday! So here's the funny thing. Today is actually Julie's birthday. She, she came in the church and it was like, what are all the balloons for? I'm like, Julie, it's your birthday. So, no, we are so excited. 15 years of, of God's faithfulness. And here's, here's the thing. I probably have one in my head, right? Here's the thing. Um, we, we are quick to brag on God. It's not, it's not us. It's what God has done. And we, start, we figured we'd start our service out by showing some photos over the last 15 years. And I'm going to give you a warning now. If you've been a part of this thing all 15 years, you're going to see some faces up there that uh, uh, Carrie and I both were sitting over here crying during the first service of, of people that we've lost along the way. But would you watch this video with us? 15 years of God's faithfulness. Thank you. 
Great is his faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. Amen. We're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 8 together. So get out your Bibles, whether you have a paper Bible or you have an app on your phone. Deuteronomy chapter 8, as you're turning uh, there, I um, want to encourage you also to grab a connection card from the pocket of the chair in front of you. Um, and if you're in the room, you can do that. If you're watching online, you can help us out by filling out the virtual connection card that's there for you. And uh, if you've never filled out a connection card before, we have a free gift that we want to send you. So thank you for doing that. Um, we're going to be in Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy is the fifth of Moses' law, the fifth of what you would call the Pentateuch or the Torah. And Moses is 120 years old, which means if you're in this room and you feel like you're old, there is still hope, okay? There, and he's 120 years old. He's been leading the nation of Israel for 40 years, and now they are right on the verge of entering the promised land. And God has made it clear to Moses that Moses is about to die and that he will not go into the promised land. And so Moses does something really strategic. Moses gathers uh, the whole nation of Israel for, kind of think of it like a music festival. Um, they're, they're out and uh, outside, and, and he's going to give like a last series of sermons to the nation of Israel because he knows he's going to die, and leadership will be handed over to Joshua. And, and Deuteronomy chapter 8 is just an absolutely incredible chapter to look at. We're only going to look at three verses in fact, I would highly recommend that sometime this week that you read Deuteronomy 8 for yourself. Um, we, sometime when you're sitting on the toilet, you're going to get out your phone anyhow, because we're Americans, and that's what we do when we're sitting on the toilet. And so when you're sitting on the toilet, get out your phone and, and go to the Bible app and, and look up Deuteronomy 8 and read it this week. But I want to read to you just, just a couple of verses. We're going to start in verse 2. It says, Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. And then I want to skip to verse 6. It says, so obey the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. That, that we obey the commandments of the Lord by walking in his ways, what he shows us. Each step that he puts in front of us, that we say, okay, God, I'm going I'm to take a risk. I'm going to step out and do what you're asking me to do. But also by fearing him. And, and sometimes this idea trips people up because fearing God, like when, when I think of fearing God, I, th I think of like the kind of fright that maybe, maybe you're in this room and you experienced abuse as a child or as a teenager. And, and sometimes we think of fearing God as kind of like, the, like a fright of God. Like he's some kind of abusive uncle or abusive grandfather. And, and that's, not, that's not what is meant in scripture when it talks about fearing God. It's really the idea of an awe, a respect, a reverence for God. A, t a couple years ago, before COVID, we took our kids to Washington, D.C., and one of the places that we went to was Arlington National Cemetery. And Arlington National Cemetery is so different from the rest of Washington, D.C. You'll be on the mall in Washington, D.C., you know, like heading to Lincoln Memorial or whatever, and there are bicycles all over the place, and there are, um, you know, all these, what are the, the scooters now? They have these scooters all over the place, and you get to Arlington National Cemetery, and they don't allow bicycles, they don't allow scooters, they don't allow people just to run like it's an ordinary park, like, and, and you'll see these signs, and it almost is from a from a different time, these signs are literally posted all over that say, these are hallowed grounds. Like, this is a word we don't even use in this culture, right? Like, hallowed. 
What does hallowed mean? Maybe some of you, you know, you grew up in a tradition where you prayed the Lord's Prayer all the time. And our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? Like the fear of the Lord is this idea of God, when I rightly estimate who you are and what you've done, like there's a sense of respect and awe and honor. And Moses says, obey the Lord your God, walk in his ways and have a right estimation of who God is. And then I want to skip to verse 18. And this is a verse that I think is so impactful for us on this 15th birthday of Journey Church. He says, remember the Lord your God. He is the one. The Lord your God is the one who gives you power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. That it is God who gives you the power to be successful. I remember several years ago, I was speaking at a uh, service club. And, you know, you think of like Kiwanas or Lions or Rotary. And, and I was speaking at the service club uh, at their meeting before Thanksgiving. And I was talking about how, how God is the one who makes us successful. That anything good that happens in our life is from God. And, and I thought that I did a pretty good job. And I added in some cool quotes. And I had really worked hard on this thing. And, and afterward, this guy came up to me and he was irate. I mean, he was just angry. I'm like, oh, crap, what did I say now? You know, I, I slip up and say weird things from now, you know, and people don't like. And he, he goes, how dare you? I'm like, okay, what's going on here? And he goes, uh, I've worked hard for everything that I have. And for you to say that God should get the responsibility for that, he goes, I've done this. I built my business. I did, you know, all these things that I have is because of my hard work. And, and I just kind of... You know, I, I realized in that moment I wasn't going to fight with him. I wasn't going to argue. But in my mind, I'm thinking, like, who gave you the health in your body that enabled you to do that? Like, like how is it that you were born in, in a country where you had access to elementary education and middle school education and high school education? How is it that you were born in a place where, where you had access to clean running water and that you didn't have to spend hours of your day going and, and having to climb and, and, and find a well and bring water back? Like, like, no, everything good in my life is only because of the sovereignty of God, because of the grace of God. And Moses says right near the end of his life when he knows he's about to die and he's trying to get everyone on the same page, he says, you need to remember the Lord your God, that he is the one who gives you power to be successful. And why does he do that? I love this last phrase, in order to fulfill the covenant that he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. And what was that covenant? Remember, generations before this, God had spoken to Abraham and he said, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and through you and through your descendants, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. That God, God makes us successful, not because of us, it's only because of his grace, but he does it for the purpose of glorifying himself and that through us, others might be blessed. It's a powerful, powerful thought. And I want you to know that, that when we experience success in life, and hopefully you experience some sex, success along the way, sometimes it feels like, you know, everything's going in the right direction, and sometimes, sometimes it feels like the bottom drops out and everything's going in the wrong direction. But in those moments, when you experience success, success I can't say that word, <laughs> that you would realize that it's from God, and that it's through God, and ultimately it is to God. And God doesn't exist for us. We exist for him. 
That's such a powerful thought. God doesn't exist for you. You exist for him. And you will never truly flourish in life. You will never truly experience the fruitfulness and the fulfillment that you're looking for in life until you come to the place of recognizing God doesn't exist for me. I exist for him. That sounds so confining. That sounds so restrictive. But there's so much freedom in that statement. So 15 years ago when we started Journey, and I, rem- I remember like saying, here's six reasons why we exist. And then over time, I began to realize some of those reasons were redundant. And some of those reasons really, you know, really weren't biblical maybe. And so we kind of landed on, here are three reasons why we exist. And from time to time, in moments like this, I think it's important just to remember why God wants us to stick around. Why does God want this community of Jesus followers to exist in the first place? And here are the three reasons. We believe God wants to use us to change lives, empower people, and serve communities. Really, that's it. To change lives, empower people, and serve communities. To change lives, to empower people, and to serve communities. And you're saying, Ken, why do you keep repeating that? I want you to get it. In fact, let's say it together, if you know it by now. To change lives, to empower people, and to serve communities. Like if we could get that, imagine 100 or 200 followers of Jesus joining together, being united for a purpose, deciding that we are gonna exist to change lives and empower people and serve communities. Can you imagine the difference that could be made? When instead of fighting against each other, that we are all united in the same purpose, vision is a powerful thing. You know, it really is. Vision is when we when we get a hold of the vision that God has for us and we assemble around that vision, instead of fighting against each other, we now have a common enemy. We now have a common purpose. And lives are changed in the process. So over the next couple weeks, we're gonna we're gonna talk about the second reason, which is empowering people next week. And then in, in a, two weeks from now, we're gonna talk about serving communities. But today I want to take a few minutes to talk about this idea of changing lives. And you say, Ken, where do you get this from? I get this from the Gospels, that this is why Jesus came to earth. You know, Jesus could have easily just come down to earth and immediately died for our sins. He didn't have to come as a baby and be born in a cave, born to a couple poor people. Like, he he could have just come down like, here I am to save the day, right? (laughs) And he could have walked around just zapping people, and he could have, like, in a week's time, he could have gotten the whole deal done and finished and over with, right? He could have ticked off all the religious people, and by, by that weekend, they'd be nailing him to a cross. And it, why, why did he come to this earth and exist among us for 33 years? Because he was trying to show us something. He was trying to demonstrate something. He was showing us how to be human, because we have drastically lost the plot, haven't we? So he wanted to show us, he wanted to be the example that when we go, well, I can't do that, that we can look to the life of Jesus and say, empowered by the Spirit, anything is possible. Jesus came to change lives. And he always had time for people, didn't he? We talked about last week, we looked at this woman uh, who was called the Samaritan woman who, man, her, her relationships had just been devastating in her life. And Jesus goes out of his way. He sends his disciples actually away. And this really could have been a bad moment for him. Society probably wasn't keen on the fact that here is this Jewish rabbi having a private conversation with a Samaritan woman who had been married five times. I mean, it looks a little scandalous, honestly. 
But he goes out of his way because he recognizes here is a person whose life needs to be changed. And the Gospels are filled with these accounts. A leper that no one else thought that you you should go near. I mean, these people literally would have to walk around with a bell screaming unclean. And Jesus goes to him, and before he heals him, Jesus touches him. And he has a conversation with him. There's this Jewish know-it-all who's been to cemetery, I mean seminary, and knows all the answers, but, but he looks at the life of Jesus and he has some questions. And so in the cover of darkness, he comes to Jesus with his questions. And Jesus takes time to meet with him and to answer his questions because Jesus was about changing lives. And if we really are followers of Jesus, we should be about the things that Jesus was about. Jesus was about changing lives. We should be about changing lives. So how do we do this? How does this happen? The starting point is always humility. It's realizing that I need to change. Before I can climb up onto some soapbox and get out my megaphone and start screaming at other people about their deal, I need to first do some inner work and ask the question, what's going on inside of me? It's real easy to identify the sins of other people. It's a lot harder to do the work of Psalm 139, 23 and 24, where David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And then there's this phrase, point out anything in me that offends you. That's a brave prayer to pray. God, I'm asking, it's real easy for me to see how there's sins in the lives of other people, but God, point out anything in me that offends you. Shine the searchlight of your spirit into my heart. And as he does that, I recognize, oh man, there's some jealousy inside of me. There's some self-centeredness inside of me. There's some anger. There's some judging and comparing I mean, we could just go down the whole long list, couldn't we? And so I begin to bring those things to God, and I don't just say, God, forgive me of my sins and keep living that way. I go, God, forgive me and give me a heart of repentance to be different. And you say, why is all that important? Because if I don't do that first step and I go to try to change other people, change their lives, well, pastor said we're about changing lives, so here I come. If we don't do the work of humility... You know, I I can preach and communicate, and you can at Heinz or a Whirlpool or Impact Credit Union or wherever you work, like you can speak with incredible and compelling eloquence. I mean, to the point where people go, man, they are angelic in their conversations. And we can have all knowledge and know the deep mysteries, and we can have the gift of prophecy, and we can have the faith to move mountains. Paul says you can have all of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But if you don't have love, it's nothing. And for generations, we've had Christians who have known all the right answers. And we've gone to culture, and we've gone to society, and we've gone to our friends and family members, and we've used the word of God as a hammer against them instead of first allowing the word of God to chisel our crap away. And so when we we come with that kind of approach, it's never received. Well, I told them the truth. Yeah, and how did it go for you? Because Jesus always started with humility. 
Jesus was known for his love and his compassion and his brokenness for the people around him. Changing lives has to start with humility. It always starts with humility. I'm way off my notes, so let me try to figure out where in the world I'm at. Here, here's a second idea, and, and you know, really, to, 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 to be able to describe this, I have to tell, I have to tell a story, and that we find this story in Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5, what, what has happened is Jesus and his disciples have been all out all night in a boat. There had been a storm. Jesus had fallen asleep, and the disciples woke him up. And here are men who had spent more time on the water than they had spent on dry land who thought they were going to die. This is how bad of a storm they're facing. And, and they, they wake Jesus up, and Jesus goes, and he looks at the storm, and he says, Peace, be still. And the storm instantly ends. And now here they are, you know, sails torn and water filling the boat, and they get to shore, and while the disciples are trying to figure out the boat situation, Jesus looks, and there is a man screaming toward him. I mean, sprinting toward him. And this man is a demon-possessed man. This is a man that Scripture tells us in some of the other Gospels that the, the, the villagers had tried to constrain, but there was no restraints that would work on this man. And so he had been relegated to the cemeteries outside of town where he would howl and cut himself, and he'd, be, he'd run around naked, like butt naked. And so that, that's the description that all the Gospels have painted of this man. In Mark chapter 5, it says, he comes running toward Jesus, this naked, bloodied howler. I don't even know if that's a word. And I'm thinking, if I'm Jesus, aren't you all glad I'm not Jesus? If I'm, glad, if I'm Jesus, I'd be like, guys, get in the boat. Peter, get in the boat right now. Come on, guys. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And they're like, well, why? Because they're like my kids. Well, why? Just get in the boat. Come on. Let's go. Don't you see? This dude's butt naked, sprinting toward him, bleeding, howling. And Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He stops and he starts walking toward the man. And this naked dude falls at Jesus' feet. And Jesus, Jesus does what Jesus does. He has all authority and all power. And he frees the man. And it's a whole lot to the story. It involves a pig farm. And by the time the villagers come and they see this guy, he is now fully clothed. Some disciples gladly gave up some of their extra clothing. He's fully clothed. He's sane. He's in his right mind. And here's the part that, that is just, I've really been, really been trying to chew on this. I'm going to pick up near the end of the story, actually. Verse 18. It says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, Jesus now, okay, mission accomplished. Now we're going to head on to the next location. Jesus is getting into the boat, but the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Can you imagine? I mean, put yourself in the shoes of this guy. His whole life, he's been enchained. He's been imprisoned. He's, he's been oppressed. And Jesus has set him free. Jesus is the only person who has ever worked in his life. The only answer that's ever worked. And he's like, please, Jesus, please, let me go with you. I'll carry your bags. I'll cook the food. Like, I'll, 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 I promise you, like, I'll be your best disciple. I won't be one of those dudes who betrays you and all that crap. Like, I'll be one of the good guys. And Jesus says, no. <sighs> this, this breaks my heart. No. Go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. 
So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region. The, these ten towns were all like pretty close together, and it was an area that they called Decapolis. In fact, in some of your Bibles, you'll see it referred to as Decapolis. The man started off to visit Decapolis, the ten towns of that region, and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Nicky Gumbel, he says this, he says, I would have thought that this man would have benefited from, inten- from intensive follow-up from Jesus. <laughs> yes, he would have, right? Like, he's, he hasn't gone through any classes. Jesus didn't take him through a membership class. We don't even see that he was even baptized. Like, like I mean, come on, there's all these things, Jesus, that should have been done for this guy. And he doesn't give him any of that. He says, however, this is Nicky Gumbel, however, Jesus gets him involved in evangelism straight away. In fact, here's the crazy thing. The next time Jesus comes to Decapolis, to this region with these 10 towns, there are 4,000 people waiting to hear from Jesus. Scholars believe that what happened was this testimony of this one man. That's so powerful is his testimony. He's just sharing, and he doesn't know a lot. He, he, hasn't, he hasn't been to Bible college. He, he doesn't have the Bible. The New Testament hasn't even been written yet. Like, he doesn't, but he just starts telling people, listen, I don't know. All I know is I was naked in a cemetery, howling at the moon, cutting myself, and Jesus set me free. You've got to meet Jesus. Jesus can change your life. Jesus can change your life. And Jesus shows up, and here are 4,000 4, men, not even counting women and children. They're, they're waiting to hear from Jesus. That's how powerful his testimony is. 2,000 years later, we are rubbing shoulders with people that are lost, spiritually tormented. Depression is off the charts, y'all. In the last three years, the number of funerals that I've done for 20-somethings who OD'd, or adults who have taken their life because of the hopelessness that they feel deep inside of them. Like, it breaks me every time. There are still people oppressed. There are still people tormented. There are still people that are just saying, I'm just looking for someone who will care about me and care about what I'm going through. And church, we get to be the answer. We get to be the body of Christ. Jesus is ascended and exalted at the right hand of the Father. He's not here physically to minister to them. So how does it happen? It can only happen as we are obedient and walk in his ways and have a right estimation of him and live in humility. And I think about this guy. I think about this demon-possessed man. And really he illustrates something. I've been chewing on this for a while. Like what he illustrates is, is someone who just says, you know what? Oh, I already had water in there, so that's from the first service. It, th- this picture is going to represent Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus comes along, and here's this man who's empty. Nothing to speak of, and Jesus, Jesus pours some water into his cup. And you know what? For every follower of Jesus in this room, this is what Jesus has done for you. He's poured his life into you. And, and make some of you, you know, here's a mistake we make, is we compare our cups Pastor Aaron's got way more than I got, you know, like, so, so when I bump into someone at work who has problems, I'll, I'll refer them to Pastor Aaron. <laughs> Instead of realizing, no, I've got some, in my, I mean, it's not full, but I've got something in my cup. And so, does anybody have an empty cup? You have an, here, you have an empty cup? So I just, I just 
pour myself, I, I, it's not full, but what I've got, what I understand, I'm, I'm more than willing to, to pour into his cup. Amen. Now my cup's empty. What do I do? Here's a crazy thing. It's a miraculous thing. When I pour my life into somebody else, Jesus fills me back up. Often, there's more now than there was when I started. Yeah. Anybody else have an empty cup? Oh, you got it. Kalen, you got an empty cup. Oh, I'm empty again. Jesus pours back in. Oh, you got an empty cup? Oh. <laughs> now you got wet pants? <laughs> we, we just... Listen, here's, here's the thing. It's not rocket science, guys. It's not rocket science. I take what God has given me, little, much, in between. I just take what God has given me, and I pour it into the lives of other people. But what if they ask me a question? I was talking to a friend on Friday, and we were getting together. God's using him in powerful ways, and, and this has been a stumbling block for him. Like, what if, what if they ask me a question? And I said, Here, here's, here's what you do. If someone asks you a question, you're in the middle of talking about what Jesus has done in your life, here, here's what you do. You just say, I don't know. Okay, and what else? I don't know. But together, let's try to figure it out. Let's try to find somebody who does. You know, that's authentic. That's truthful. You don't have to make it up. You don't have to make answers up. You just say, I don't know. I don't understand. I've wrestled with that same question. Let's go talk to Pastor Aaron. <laughs> I'm sure he's got a good answer. I, I, just take, I just take what I have, and I don't allow the enemy to, to, to distract me with the fact that, oh, you don't have enough scripture memorized yet. What if they ask you this question? What if you look ridiculous? What if you offer to pray for them and they say no? Listen, there, I can count on one hand in 23 years the number of people when I've offered to pray for them that they've said no. Overwhelmingly, people will say, sure. Sometimes they'll say, I don't believe in that stuff, but if it makes you feel better, go for it. And so I try to be respectful, but I realize God can do anything. And I'm not going to limit God by not even inviting him into the process. Listen, Jesus didn't make disciples who knew stuff. Jesus made disciples who did stuff. And this has been the problem with the American church. We are convinced that Jesus was about making disciples who knew stuff. That's not, that's not it at all. He made disciples who did stuff. And when we get that, and when we understand that, and we start coming from a posture of humility, God, show me what's going on in my life, a, a, a position of brokenness, a position of repentance, and we just start taking whatever God has given us, whatever amount, even if it's not as much as somebody else, I'm just going to take what God has given me, and I'm going to pour it into your cup, and I'm going to trust that he's going to pour back into me. Now listen, I'm going to be truthful. There are going to be times when you've poured yourself out, and you, what, and, and you don't feel like there's anything left? Those are great moments to follow the example of our master who would withdraw from everybody else early in the morning and seek his father. And God would pour back into him. There are times where I feel like there ain't nothing left in the cup. And those are moments to take a Sabbath, get away from social media, reconnect with your heavenly father. This week, we get, to, we get to go out of town for the week. It's Carrie and the kids have a, a spring break this week, and so don't call me this week. Call Pastor Aaron. 
He's got the answers anyhow, right? Literally, we're leaving early in the morning. We're going to be out of the state. And, 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 you know, I'm praying, God, fill my cup. Fill my cup. And you know what? Along the way, you know, sometimes you're, 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 you're still feeling empty, but you still, you know, God puts someone in your path. This happened when Jesus was grieving the loss of John the Baptist. He's grieving, and these people come to him. In the scripture, I'm like, Jesus, tell them to go away. Tell them you're grieving. And he doesn't, he, he, he gives time to them. And sometimes along the way, you, you, we, don't, we don't know how to figure this out. We just, we just say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what you've asked me to do, and I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe that your power is going to be there. So here's the deal. Well, before, before I get to that, I want to show you the story of uh, someone in our church. In fact, Alex, where are you at? I saw you over here. Would you stand real quick? This is Alex. And we're going to show a video of Alex. And you can sit down. Yeah. And this is going to be so nervous. I mean, she's not even up here speaking, but I'm going to tell you already. She's going to be so nervous that you, because she gets so vulnerable in this video. But what you're going to see is you're going to see someone who were willing to, to pour out what they had into, into her cup. And then the redemptive part at the end is she shares about how now she is taking what God has put in her cup and filling others up. Let's watch Alex's story, and we'll come back and close this thing. Hi, I'm Alex. For almost 15 years, I struggled with addiction. I lied, I stole, I destroyed almost every relationship I had. I broke my parents' hearts. I hurt my sister so bad that she wanted nothing to do with me. I neglected my son because I was too busy partying. And I did exactly like Pastor Ken said last Sunday. I cried and I begged and I pleaded with God to save me to heal me, and every year, or every few times a year, I would come to Journey. I called it my church, <laughs> but I would only come two or three times a year, and when I was here, I just assumed God was going to miraculously heal me, and God knew that's not was not his plan. He needed me to give my whole life to him, not just a little bit. So every time I would pull further and further away from God, I got arrested twice, I went to jail, and it wasn't until I had to make a hard decision of getting out of a bad relationship by taking my kids to the homeless shelter. It was there that I was at my, I knew it was the right choice, but it, it was there that I knew that I was the lowest I had been. I hated myself. My two youngest will never remember, but my oldest son, Bryson, I let him down. He was mortified. And I think he, he hated me for a little bit there. Um, so the first Sunday that we were at the Liberty Center, we came to Journey, my church, <laughs> and I have no idea what the service is about. I have no idea any words that were spoken because all I did was cry because I knew what I needed to do 
So the next Sunday, we came back to Journey, and I reaffirmed my faith with God. And a month later, me and my oldest son, Bryson, were baptized together. So it's very true that it's not the church. The church is just walls. It's the people in the church. It's you, all of you, who pray for one another, who lift each other up. And every time I've been to church on a Sunday, I walk away with something, even if it's just something small from the, the sermon. I walk away from something. And I love to sing, so the praise and worship just gets me excited and bubbling over for God. Um, almost two years ago, God put it on my heart to become a youth leader, and I love it. Those students are amazing. The leaders are amazing, and I can't imagine being anywhere else, but I know that God has something bigger for me. I'm not sure what it is, but I know it's there, and for anybody who is struggling with something that I struggled with, 15 years, God brought me out. He brought me out of the darkness into the light, and I have never felt better. So I cannot wait what, for what the next 15 years brings. Thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that to a bunch of people you don't even know. It takes a lot of guts. What, what I heard in that video is that somewhere along the way, God poured some things into Alex's life. And what she's been doing over the last two years is incredible because she's here every Tuesday night with some incredible rock star youth leaders now pouring what God has given them into the lives of middle school and high school students. And what, what Alex has gone through in her story, she's now able to comfort others who say, well, you don't understand. You don't understand what my family has been through. And she can say, yeah, I, I can't pretend to understand everything you're going through, but I've got a story too. Listen, all God wants from you, be humble before him. Be humble before him. God, I admit that apart from you, I am nothing, I have nothing. I am broken, I am helpless, I am powerless. And then just take what he gives you and give it to others. Broken, stumbling over words, not knowing how to respond to questions, it's amazing how God will empower you in that moment. So before I go on, there's something I was supposed to do at the beginning, and, and I'm doing this for myself. This is 100% selfish, but I'm just very curious. And then we'll land this plane. If you're in this room and you were part of Journey when we were a mile down the road at El Bethel, right next to the pig farm, 
Uh, now it's called Memory Hall. If you were part of Journey back then, would you, would you stand to your feet? Or if you're unable to stand, would you, would you raise your hand? Just, just really curious. It's just, wow, it's crazy. Yeah, looking around at some who are here at the grand opening. That you guys are part of that. You guys can be seated. Here's, just, okay, again, just total curiosity. I, I was uh, in Dayton the other day meeting with some pastors and we were talking about how the pandemic has impacted churches. And I'm just curious if you have like regularly started coming to Journey since the pandemic started. So in the past two years, maybe you came, you know, once or twice like before that, but you've really started coming back to Journey like during that time or started coming for the first time during the last two years. Would you stand? I'm just, again, I'm just totally curious to see. That's crazy. Seriously. You can be seated too. Most churches have not experienced that at all. That's crazy. So here's, here's how we're going to land this thing. Thank you. I know that was kind of disjointed and didn't kind of go with the sermon, but just thank you for humoring me. I believe there's somebody in this room that especially during Alex's story, like there's something stirring inside of you. You don't know how to explain it. You might not necessarily have the vocabulary, but you know that you are at the end of yourself. It could be something, you know, you know, the drugging or alcohol or that kind of stuff. Maybe it's actually you've, you've accomplished your dreams and you've gotten to the end of it and realized it's empty that it hasn't satisfied you. Like you haven't done bad things. You've been, you've been embracing and going after the American dream and, and, and you got to the end of the race and it's not fulfilling like you thought it would be. So this isn't, this isn't mean that, 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 that you're exactly the situation that Alex was in, but maybe you've come to the end of whatever it is and you've recognized, man, I need Jesus in my life. I need his purpose. I need, I need him to forgive me. I need him to be the master and leader of my life. And I don't have all the answers and I, I don't have it all figured out. And there's a lot of questions maybe that I have about Bible and, and the God and, and all that kind of stuff. But, but I recognize Jesus has the power and I'm coming to him and I need his forgiveness and his leadership in my life. I'm gonna ask everyone to close your eyes and bow your heads. We're not gonna call anyone out. I'm not gonna embarrass you. We won't ask you to stand, but I want to be able to pray with you. And so I'm going to start on my left and your right side of the room and just kind of look across the room. And if you're here and you say, Ken, I need Jesus in my life. I'm humbling myself. I need Jesus to forgive me of my sins and be the master and leader of my life. I would love to be able to pray with you. And so I'm going to start over on my left, on your right. If that's you, would you just raise your hand really high? Maybe look at me real quick. If that's you, anybody over on this side, coming over toward the middle. Anybody that would say, that's me. Would you raise your hand? Yeah, I see you. Yeah. You too, two of you. Over here in this middle section, any of you guys? Yeah, yeah, I see, yeah, three, four, five, six. Yeah, over here on this far right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, guys, it's amazing. You can put your hands down. I'm gonna ask everyone across this room, would you, would you pray with me? And I want, I want to tell you the, these words, it's not a magic formula prayer that if you pray these right words in the right order, that something magical happens, it's meaning this. This is a prayer from the heart, but I, I wanna give you kind of an outline to help you in praying. So let's pray this together, whether you raise your hand or not. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you and I recognize I need you. 
I don't have what it takes in myself. Thank you for Jesus. I believe he died on the cross to take my punishment and my sin. That he rose from the dead proving that he has authority. Breakthrough in my life. Forgive me of my sins. I put you in the position of leadership. Lead me. I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, that's, a, that's, amazing. that's the best thing that could happen on this 15th birthday. It really is. Yeah, can we just praise God? I mentioned the connection card earlier, and so if, if you have that connection card, maybe you never even filled one out, but if you have that connection card, on the bottom there's a place that says My Next Steps. I'm going to ask that you would check that box. Maybe you're starting a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you're reaffirming. If you would check that, and then we have some greeters. Even, even about now, a couple of our greeters could go back and get those white. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you doing that. And they're going to be back at the doors with the white buckets. And as you leave, just put your connection card in there. If you came prepared to give something, we have giving boxes out in the lobby. We appreciate you doing that. There's other ways that you can give. There's a text, you know, you can text and you can give online and all that kind of stuff. And, and your giving, your generosity has made everything possible that's going on a journey. Would you stand to your feet? We've got some cupcakes out in the lobby in a moment and make sure to take one. And if you stick around long enough, you can probably even take two or three. But... Uh, the, the chocolate ones, I'm supposed to warn you, the chocolate ones have peanut butter in them. So if you have a peanut issue, stay away from, stay away from the chocolate ones. But here, here's how I want to close. Here's how I want to close this morning. This week, this week, may you be humble before God. Instead of looking at everybody else and comparing yourself with everybody else, may you look to Jesus and say, Jesus, search me. May you walk in humility. And with whatever God has poured into your life, may you pour it into the lives of others. God bless you. Have a great week. Hopefully we'll see you again next week.